Thank you, Owen. It's good to be back in the capital again. And uh, to hear all your lilting accents, uh, uh, as opposed to my harsh, some would unkindly say, uh, Belfast accent. Uh, my, my grandchildren, who are now in Dublin, they mock my accent now. We used to mock yours, but now they mock mine. They say, Papa, would you, if you say you, like some cake? You, you put an extra syllable in there just to kind of... Yeah, that accents are funny things. My little grandson is very English. He lives in Cambridge. And uh, a little while ago, he said to me, Papa, do I speak a different language to you? Which <laughs> is a kind of a strange one. Anyway, it, it is a real joy to be here. Priscilla and I uh, first came uh, when you, the church met in St. Warburg's in 1994, actually. So we've been around since uh, pretty much the beginning. And uh, just to encourage you, Priscilla and I were... We were, we were part of an organization called ARC, which is a church planting movement, and we were interviewing a young couple who are going to plant a church in Tullow, County Carlo. And uh, when we said to them, well, how did you come to know the Lord? Uh, the girl, the, the, the lady, uh, girl, she's in her 20s, child, in my, in, compared to me, to be honest with you, and uh, she said, well, my life was a mess, and somebody invited me to St. Catherine's four years ago. And she said, I met Jesus. And then I met this wonderful man. And we got married. And now we're planting a church in Tullow. So that's part of your legacy. What, what's happening in Tullow is part of the legacy here. You, you, get, you get to be part of that. So that's really encouraging and really exciting. I'm going to read in the Old Testament today, uh, Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1. Uh, I've, I've sort of to be honest with you, thinking about this morning, I've gone back and forward on different things. And as, I, as uh, Owen spoke this morning, I kind of settled my heart. This is what I, I need to do. So it's, uh, I'm going to read from verse 1 and then read a few verses and then go down it as we possibly can. But please don't worry. We shall be out on time, which is two, 4 o'clock. Thank you. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 1. These are the words... Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. Uh, in the 40th year, in the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. And then on down to uh, verse 6. Uh, the Lord our God said to us at, Hor- at Horeb, You've stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arba, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast of the land of the Canaanites and the Lebanon, as far as the great river Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land. The Lord swore that he would give your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. The, uh, the context of Deuteronomy 1 is that uh, Moses is looking back on 40 years of wandering in the desert. He's not looking forward. It's a retrospective look on 40 years of wandering around the desert. And uh, he reminds them that they were a people who had been rescued from slavery, but still had to enter into the promised land. They, they had been delivered from something, but they weren't quite sure what they were delivered for. In fact, in the early chapters of the Bible, they are delivered, they're delivering from Egypt. It takes 14 chapters. And the rest of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and 40 years, that, it takes that long for them to be delivered into something else. And uh, their mission 
was to go to a place where they could fulfill the promise that was given to Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. And it's really important because it means this, that the people of Israel were always the right people. They were just the right people in the wrong place. And sometimes you've got to be the right people in the right place at the right time in order to make it a place for God. And that is why you're in this church today. Places are really important, actually. We, we, uh, I, when we, I'm a, strictly a nonconformist brought up in that background. Places didn't matter. But the older I've got, the more I realize that wells are dug in places, uh, spiritual wells. And a well has been dug in this place for how many years, Owen? Hundreds of years. 250, 250 odd years. Absolutely incredible. And it's important that you're here and you get a sense that you belong here. Because if you don't belong that, you don't believe that, or you don't get that, ultimately uh, you've, you'll always feel that you don't fit. Because there's something about being the right people in the right place at the right time in order to make it a place for God. And so uh, the, uh, the people of Israel, they crossed the Red Sea and uh, they, they uh, have several experiences, but they go to a mountain called Horeb. Okay, they go to the Sinai Peninsula and they, they find themselves on a mountain uh, in Horeb. They stay there around a year or 18 months. And it's really important that they, they do that because God uh, wants to establish some things with them before he, he takes them on into the land in which he's given them. The, the problem was that instead of being travelers, they turned out to be wanderers. And I suppose my challenge to you individually and as a church is to ask the question, are you traveling or are you wandering? And, uh, and that's not, to, that's not to, to, to look back and say that was a wandering time. Just to kind of keep in our mind all the time, am I traveling? Am I going somewhere? Or is there a lot of movement and actually I'm only wandering? And it's really important that you get a sense of what you're called to and who you're called to. And, and that's not for me to tell you, but my, I think my job today is to exhort you and, uh, and encourage you to keep on traveling and not be wanderers, not get away from the mission that God has called you to. Uh, God, of course, has to take these people uh, into uh, uh, a mountain by himself, because remember, they've been slaves for 400 years. And so he has to establish some things, put some roots down. If you like a legacy, you know, put something that's really important in. And of course, there's some things. I'll, ju I'll just quickly take a couple of minutes and run through them. Number one, he has to establish that it is possible for a holy God to have a relationship with men and women. He builds a relationship with them. And of course, it's through the offerings that point to Christ. And that's been part of your foundation. The gospel has been preached here for hundreds of years. It is a foundation. And, and it's still true today that God has called us to have a relationship and invite men and women into that relationship. And we must never forget that. That whatever else we're called to do, it is to be instruments of God's grace in this city and in this nation, to call men and women and tell them it's possible that they can have a relationship with a holy God. But number, number two, it's important. He has to, to reestablish their identity. They're, they're no longer, remember, slaves for 400 years. You've been a slave for 400 years. That's the way you think. So he has to tell them they're no longer slaves, but they are sons. They're into a new relationship. And he establishes that, they, that God is their father. And that's the most incredible thing that people get, not only to come into a relationship with the holy God, but that actually that same God becomes their father. It's absolutely wonderful, isn't it? 
We, we call God our Father. Number three, they have some values, distinctive values. Now, of course, the sign of the covenant was circumcision. And the funny thing was, of course, it was hidden. Nobody could know that. But it was nonetheless a distinctive uh, value. And God always gave the Oh, God always gave the people of Israel distinctive values. Now, that, I, I want to make it clear. I, the, the times they were least effective in their mission was when they tried to become like the tribes round about them. That's when they became least effective. When they were most effective was when they, whenever they caught a sense that they were a distinctive people. Remember, they are slaves without a voice. They become a kingdom of priests. Just crossing that Red Sea and the Passover, they become a kingdom of priests. But they're no longer slaves, and they have distinctive values. And I, I think it's really important that, that you get a hold of that. Priscilla alluded to it today. You've got some distinctive values, and they're really important for you. Number four, they had a purpose. God gave them a purpose. And what is the purpose? The promise to Abraham that through you, Abraham, the nations will be blessed. Now, primarily, it was the person of Christ. But the wider application is that the reason we're here is that we're going to bless this nation of ours, primarily with the gospel, but we're going to touch them, body, soul, and spirit. Okay, that's our call. And this isn't, this isn't some freaky new church 25 years ago that has some weird things about it. There might well be some weird things about it, but that's not the point. The point is, it's, it's still, the mission is still part of the great flow of history of Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. And number five, the greatest of all, is the presence of God. In that passage where Moses, uh, the Lord says, I'm going on up ahead of you. And, and the, the Lord, uh, Moses says, well, I'm not, I'm not going. He says, unless you're with us, I'm not going. Can I say value the presence of God? It's, it's, the, it's the one thing that the society we live in cannot replicate is the presence of God. God's presence. People come in. That, that young lady I talked to you about, one of, one of her testimonies was, you know, the minute she came through the door, she went, mm, something's happening here. Didn't know what it was. What was it? It's the presence of God. And number six, a place. This is a place. God gives you a place. But there comes a moment, and this is, this is the, the crux. Remember, not traveling, not wandering, but traveling. There comes a moment when Moses says, break camp. Now, that does not undermine all that has gone before. It's simply saying it's a new season that you're in. That's what he's saying to him. Okay, guys, we've put, this, put these roots in. You've got good roots here. Fantastic. Cherish them. Build on them. But there's a, there's a sense in which I think the Lord's saying to you at break camp. They wanted to stay in Horeb because it was the mountain of the Lord. You know, I mean, here's what happened. They got water. They got food. Their clothes never wore out. Their shoes never wore out. It was safe. It was comfortable. Like, who, you know, who... Who wants to move from that? But, but what, I, what I found is, if, however, if your experience of the glory of God, even an intense one, does not result in movement or character transformation, you'll turn that experience into an idol. So we look back at all the good things in the history of this church, but let's not make them an idol, Okay? Let, let, let's, let's understand that they were incredible, they were fantastic, but let's not be a church that is event-driven, but a church which is process-driven. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, there's an old saying in, in Ulster, and it says, I'll do the Ulster accent, a crisis without a process becomes an abscess. <laughs> you know what that, I'll say that, you say, what do you mean? A crisis without a process becomes an abscess. It means this, it means that if you have this incredible experience in any area of your life and you don't begin to work and develop on that and, and, and take that and work it out, actually you look back and go, nothing happened there. You'll despise 
the crisis that you had. And that's why I think this journey of 25 years is really important because it's part of the process of what God's doing in your life. So it was time for movement, time for movement. I want to suggest to you that uh, whenever God says, time to break camp, time to make changes in your life, don't want you to be a wanderer, a traveler, that we hear it as an invitation, but it's a command. We kind of think, because God's nice like that, doesn't he? And he goes, he says, you know, look, could I invite you to come on a journey with me? Now, if it makes you feel uncomfortable, don't worry about it. If it, if it ruffles your life or causes a little bit of sacrifice, listen, forget it. That's the way we hear it. But actually, most time God breaks into our lives and in the churches is that it's not an invitation, it's a command. I, I, I got arrested in 1972 up in Belfast for murder. Uh, I'd shook you, didn't it? I want no talking here today, okay? Nobody leaving early. We're going to take another offering. I know where you live. What, what happened, there was a post in a letter at the GPO in Royal Avenue, and I felt that somebody poked me in the back, and I turned around, there were six British soldiers around me with sterling submachine guns. And I, I you know, hello. And I, and, and I, and I said, uh, he said to me, you're under arrest for murder and attempted murder under the Special Powers Act of such and such and such and such. And uh, I, th- I thought, you know, he, he, honestly, having never been through that, I, I, I didn't know what to say. So he, he got me into the Land Rover, and uh, I, went, I went into, um, I suppose, into prison for a couple of, uh, for, for, for a few hours. And, um, but before he did that, it's an interesting thing. It's, it's a very English thing to do. Here's what he said to me. The, the six guns are pointed at me. He went, would you mind coming with me? <laughs> you know, and it, it sounded very much like an invitation. But it wasn't an invitation, you know. It, it sounded like he was saying, look, if you don't want to come, it doesn't matter. Sorry to bother you. He, didn't, he wasn't saying that. And I think that's how we hear God sometimes. You know, you say, oh, God, God's not like that. No, actually he is. Actually, I think when God grabs the hold of you, he goes, I'm not inviting you to come. I'm commanding you to do it. And sometimes in life, you just have to respond to that command. And, and I, I found in life there's always a call. God asks ordinary people in ordinary churches to engage in extraordinary acts of trust. Uh, and and the, it's, that, it's that invitation forward slash command. There's always fear. Could I put that to you? People say, no, listen, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. I, when God says, fear not, that's the time to be really afraid. <laughs> Because he's going he's gonna to ask you, to, he's going to command you to do something that may well make you afraid. That's why he has to say, don't be afraid. Owen and Becky, fear not. Okay? Seriously. There, there's, a, there's something here, I think, of God saying, God has this incredible habit of, of asking people to do things that are scary to them. And there's always reassurance, God's presence and God's power with you. And there's always a the decision. You say, well, well, I'm a Calvinist. I don't believe that. Well, I, honestly, you can be whatever you want, but I think people always get the chance to say yes or no to God. I really, there's always a decision. Can I say this kind of? There, there are churches all over Ireland and the world that a long time ago said no to God. They're still there. Still going through the motions. Everything seems as if it always was there, but a long time ago they said, no, we're, we're, we just said, we're not going to go there. Please don't be that church. Don't be a church of, of wanderers, but be a church of travelers.
Go with God wherever he wants you to go. And there's always a changed life. You can't become perfect, but when you say yes to God, you're never the same again. Isn't that right? It's a bit like tithing. I always say when you speak on giving, people get uneasy. When you speak on tithing, they get hostile. <laughs> but people, people, some, pre- some pastors preach that if you don't tithe, God will kill you. <laughs> and that's not true. Do you know how I know that? Some of you are alive and breathing here this morning. Okay, you're all here. All right. But you see, here's the thing. When, when you, you know, there's some things in life. It's not, that God, it's not that God withdraws his love and favor from you. He doesn't change. You change. That's, that's the issue. The, the issue in this is, it's not, that, it's not that God changes, it's that you change. When you say no to God, something hardens in your heart. And every time God commands you to do something, it, it becomes a, a little bit harder to hear him the next time, a little bit more difficult to respond. That's why I would say, hey, in everything that God's called you to, be travelers and not wanderers. Say yes to God when that comes. So I'm going to give you four points, okay? They are, they are sure. The problem is that the camp had become, they all begin to see. So if you're kind of Baptist, you'll love this, okay? Number one, it became a camp of comfort. It became a camp of comfort. Carl Barth, the theologian, said that comfort was the siren call of our age. In other words, it was the thing that drew us onto the rocks. And having a lazy boy of my own at home, one of those big chairs, I can, I can testify to that fact. When you get into it, honestly, you may start to pray, but you're, our Father here, and you're gone in a couple of seconds. You're absolutely done. But life was good with these people. They were safe. They were comfortable. They were out of slavery. And uh, they didn't really want to go too far. And who wants to go into the unknown whenever you can stay comfortable? I I found the the same myself in 2008. And uh, the church that I pastored in Belfast, uh, we'd become pretty comfortable, to be honest with you. And uh, we were planning a a £7 million building extension. Uh, and it was one of those, you know, scary times. It was 2008, however, which, you know, it didn't, it didn't happen in the end. But uh, I remember listening to a young man who was preaching, and I felt the Lord speak to me, and he said, that's your successor. And I, I remember saying, well, how's that going to work? I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and, uh, but the, the, Lord, the, the Lord worked events, and, and that, that happened. But my, my, my simple point is this, that nothing stays the same. These people have become comfortable. Can I urge you, St. Catharines, don't become comfortable. You know, comfort's okay. Don't, don't get me wrong. I like comfort as much as anybody. But, do you know what I mean? Spiritually, I, Priscilla and I, you know, every year, like, uh, we're, we're really well on in years. And by the way, isn't she, a great, isn't she a great speaker, isn't she? I mean, I wanted to get up and go what she said. Let's go all go home now. <laughs> you know, I, but, but every year we, we kind of go, well, Lord, what next for us? You know, what's next? Where are we going here? What's, what's God doing? We don't want, I, don't want to live, I don't want to end my life as a wanderer. I want to be a traveler as well. I want to do something. I don't want to get into to comfort. I, I, I think that if you go down to verse 9, I love this, and I want to emphasize this. At that time, this is Moses talking, looking back. He said, you're too heavy a burden for me to carry alone. And here's what he said. I love this. The Lord your God has increased your numbers, so today you're as numerous as the stars in the sky. And it's almost as if he's going, there's too many of you. I can't cope here. Mr. Minister can't do it anymore. Then he says, may the Lord, the God of your answers, increase you, uh, your numbers a thousand times. Okay, is that, that's kind of weird, isn't it? You know, there's too many of you. Let's have, let's have a few more of you. But actually the solution to the problem was that he couldn't carry it on his own. 
It needed everybody to play their part because it says, choose some wise understanding and respected men from each of your tribes and I will set them over you. In other words, there was a delegation of people doing things. I, I, I honestly think that if we're going to successfully negotiate the culture in which we live in in the next 25 years, it's going to, it's going to be with every single person playing their part. And it's really important that. And I know that people like me say that all the time, but honestly, most people, nothing, I, I don't think anything worthwhile is achieved by one person. Certainly, I think people, God uses individuals to spearhead things, etc. But in terms of building something, it requires a body and a family to actually do that. Wouldn't it be incredible if every single person put their hand up and said, no, no, I'll tell you what, what, what you need to say. You go to your pastor and you say, what can I do to help? Don't say, don't say this. I did the Willow Creek um, with our church once, they're, uh, you know that finding your gift? It was the worst thing I ever did in my life. Because <laughs> suddenly I had 58 <laughs> teachers, 17 apostles, uh, you know, and it was like, I, I'm going, well, I'm, I'm only a pastor there, you know, what, what, what do you want me to do? And what I really needed was people to come along and go, can I be of help? Sometimes the needs of the community take precedent over your own particular needs. I found in life that the people who do what needs to be done generally get to do what God created them to do. But it starts where you go. That's why we taught Sunday school for 14 years, Priscilla and I, every afternoon. We got one Sunday off a year. It was Easter Sunday. In our Brethren Assembly, if Christmas Day was on a Sunday, we had Sunday school in the afternoon. We, even, we missed the Queen's speech. I mean, seriously. It had become a camp of comfort. Number two, it had become a camp of complacency. So comfort's one thing, but complacency means there actually isn't much to do. Honestly, my, and I find, I find myself in, in this particular camp sometimes where there's a complacency, but, you know, there was a new land to explore and occupy, but they thought that, that little mountain range, it's pretty, if you've ever been down there, I mean, it's barren, there's nothing there. They thought that's all there was. The, uh, one of the, the presidential vice candidates of recent years, Sarah Palin, uh, said that when challenged about her foreign policy and her foreign um, experience, she said she'd been, she was asked had she ever been to Ireland, and she said she knew all about Ireland because she'd been there. But when then she got herself into trouble, because whatever she, they inquired at, you know what happened? She'd landed in Shannon Airport for an hour. That, that, was, that was it. That was her, I'd been to Ireland. Now, you know, it caught her out, but she didn't realize there was the, there was the, the mighty Glens of Antrim. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm going into that again. Uh, the walls of Limerick, <laughs> you, you get it, okay? The, the uh, uh, Dublin Bay, and uh, that other place over in Connacht, over there. Warden? That's at the Clays of more. You know, go away. I'm, I'm trying to quote the song, you know. Uh, but there's a, there's a sense in which there's a lot more of Ireland to discover in that. And there's something very powerful uh, about getting a sense of that again, uh, that there's more to discover. Honestly, don't get complacent. This is great, but it's great for us. But we, we, we went to a, a, the Piano Man's concert last night, just confession. We went to hear Billy Joel. The tickets were bought. We were forced to go. Okay? But as I looked, there were probably 40,000 people there. But it probably was about, according to the statistics, and, and I, I choose my words carefully here, about two thirds 
of the entire evangelical population of the 26 counties. Those are the figures. It's about 65,000 recognized evangelical believers. That's the, that's the, those are the figures. And you kind of go, we can't afford to become complacent. There's still men and women who need to know Jesus. There's still people who need Christ. There's still a lost generation of people who, do, who don't know Jesus. Please don't, don't become complacent. Number three, if you remain in comfort and complacency, I've got four, by the way, they, they simply are this, it becomes a camp of complaint. They started to moan. They started to groan because nothing stays the same. You think if everything stayed the same, would be okay. But it's funny when you think you've got it all, you feel comfortable, you get complacent, you start to complain. You know why? Because we were, we were created to discover the purposes of God individually and corporately. And when you stop that process, something changes and you begin to lose what you already have. There's no such thing as standing still in your Christian life. Ultimately, you move forward or you fall off the bicycle. It's as simple as that. And that's why, that's why in churches, you, you, you know, we've got it the way we like it. We've got, we, we, we forget the needs around us and we go, this is about us. And ultimately, you start to complain. Everything is a problem. And I, I, want, to, I want to urge you, please, folks, let's rejoice in what God has given us. This building, this spot, this city, it's incredible. Let's not be complainers. The problem is that you get fearful. When you start to hear the invitation of God, you get a bit frightened. What would that mean? What would that actually look like? What, what, would, what would happen if we did that? And, and, and you, get, you, get, you start getting fearful. I, I, you've, I, I probably told you my story of when I went to Buckingham Palace all those years ago. I, I was invited to uh, celebrate. She, she's the queen of another country uh, 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 to, to the, uh, the left of Ireland, if you're standing looking down at Cork, okay? And uh, I got an invitation to go. Uh, because I was on the Irish Council of Churches executive, and it was 300 uh, people there celebrating the, uh, the uh, religious freedom during the reign of Queen Elizabeth II of uh, uh, Great Britain. And uh, I was invited. Priscilla wasn't invited, but I was. But that's just another thing, anyway. That's just... Uh, that's just uh, I probably shouldn't have mentioned that, actually. Uh, anyway... What happened was we're we're in a room. It's not much bigger than this. A wee bit longer. It's called the Picture Gallery in Buckingham Palace, and all the great pictures are there. Van Dyck, Van Rijn. It's stuff you see in your history books. They're all there, and they're the size of that. They're the size of of one of those. They're massive. They're not like they're 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 you know they're 15 feet by by 10 feet. They're incredible picture uh, photographs. Not photographs. They didn't have them in the 17th century. Uh, they, they're painted. And the royal family are in the room. They are literally all, every one of the royal family are there and they're walking about talking to people. There's only 300 in the room. And, and I, didn't know, I didn't know anybody. And uh, I was standing and a lady walked up to me and her, uh, her name was Lady Farnham. And she said, um, and she, I always joke about aristocratic English people because you know that you talk about the stiff upper lip. Do you know why that is? Because their lip never moves when they talk. It doesn't. They go like this. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Just their mouth never moves. You go, you're looking for a ventriloquist dummy behind them or something going like that. But, uh, and she said, she spoke to me and uh, she looked at a little badge that said Pastor Paul Reed and she said, she said, oh, you're a pastor. 
And she said, what sort of a pastor are you? And I said, a good one. <laughs> I, I really did, actually. Just sort of, it broke the ice kind of thing, you know. <laughs> and we sort of, we started to talk. And she said, no, then she said, well, what sort of a pastor are you? And I said, well, I suppose, I'm trying, you know, labels, I don't like labels, but, you know, I, I, I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I suppose I'm charismatic, Pentecostal, you know, what, what, that, that, you know, evangelical, you know, trying to get all the Bible, you know, it goes on and on and on. But she picked up on the word uh, Pentecostal and she said to me, oh, tell me about the Holy Spirit. And, and honestly, I froze. Absolutely. It's easy to freeze and, and be fearful. I was going to say I'd never heard of him. Sarah, never. I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? I know nothing. And, uh, and then I just, you know, after, literally it was one of those horrible moments where I just froze and I thought, what am I going to do here? And, and, I, and I felt the Lord say, just tell her your story. And I told her how I came to know Jesus as a 16-year-old boy. And he turned my life upside down and I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And as I talked to her, she started to cry. And she took me by the hand and she said, you must meet the Archbishop. And, we, and she took me over to David Rose, who was the Archbishop of York. And she said, she introduced, they had a conversation. I didn't know what they were talking about. David, listen to me. <laughs> but it turned out that he, he had been a curate in, on the Shankill Road for two years in Belfast. And, uh, and she said, oh, and he's a, and he's a charismatic and he said, tell us about the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm on a roll by this stage, you know. I can just see, I, can, I just, in my mind, I can see the whole royal family lined up here, you know. And go, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know. I, now, that didn't happen. It's just how it played out in my head, okay. But you can imagine. But fear can set in. Fear can set in. I would have paid money to do that, honestly. I wish I'd have had the courage to do that, but it didn't, didn't work out that way. But there was a very, there was, you know, comfort, complacency can become complaint and can set into fear. And you don't want to be a fearful church. You want to take, a, you want to take steps of courage and, and go forward. And finally, the, the, uh, the, the, the fourth one, very simply, is a, it can become a camp of cynicism. There's a lot of cynical people about it, and especially in Ireland. It's like, you know, somebody, I, I don't know if it's just the north, but, you know, even a day like today, you can say to somebody, it's not a lovely day, they'll say to you, I've been a Korean. <laughs> so, you know, how are you? Not too bad. <laughs> do, you, do you understand that? Like, what is that all about? It's just a negativity we have, and, and there's something, and it, the problem is that your negativity can degenerate into cynicism. And cynicism, actually, I say this, I say this advisedly, is a cancer at the heart of churches, where people get cynical that anything's ever going to change or anything's ever going to change. And you can become a cynical, a cynical Christian and you can, you can spend your life wandering. If you're a cynical Christian, honestly, you will spend your life wandering instead of traveling. Why? Because sometimes you've been hurt. Sometimes difficult things have happened. Sometimes have been, you, know, you just go, oh my goodness, look what happened. How could we ever see anything different? But actually, as, as Desmond Tutu once said, I, I choose to be a prisoner of hope. I'm going to be a prisoner of hope. Someone who says, Lord, I'm not going to be cynical. I, I, I used to say to my church, if you're cynical, talk to God. If you're skeptical, which is different, talk to me. 
Skepticism is doubting someone's ability to do something. So if I was to say, Becky, I'll take the keyboards after and close with the, the last song, be skeptical, okay? Because I can't play the keyboards, okay? <laughs> can't play the piano. But cynicism would be the only reason you're doing that is to bring glory to yourself. Do you understand? It, cynicism hits at motivation. Skepticism hits at ability. Okay, so be really careful about that. And there's something powerful. When you go back to, the, just as I clo- literally close now, um, uh, you can, I, I think to properly enter in uh, to the next phase uh, of any Christian experience, but particularly in this church, because this is the context, you need at least two things. You need trust in God. This isn't all about us. But you do need confidence in the people you're traveling with. And, and that's actually what Moses dealt with. They, they, at the end of the chapter, they're reminded of God's faithfulness in, in the past and how he'd been with them all the way. But every new step of faith requires that you take new faith. It becomes easier. But nonetheless, whatever journey you're on, you've nothing sometimes but the promises of God to hold on to and the people you're with. And God, God gives you that incredible sense. And, and you can actually say, uh, the, Lord, the Lord's with us. He's brought us this far, and he doesn't tend to destroy us. Hey, we've had our ups and downs. Let's get a bit of honesty in reality. There are a few ups and downs here, you know. But we're still standing, shaken but not shattered. That's not a James Bond quote, by the way. We're shaken, but we're not shattered. Or you can say, let's just stay the way we are. I don't know what the future has. I, I, I don't know what that will look like because that's not for me to determine, to be honest with you. Uh, but whenever I was handing over, and I finished with this, to my, uh, my successor in CFC after building a legacy of 30 years, he came to me one day and he said, Paul, I felt, I felt the Lord gave me Joel 2 for us. And I said, well, and, and then Acts 2, quoting Joel 2. And he said this, I didn't know whether to hit him or, or, or embrace him, but he said, he said, your old men shall dream dreams and your young men will have visions. And I said, what do you mean? He said, Paul, my, my goal is to fulfill your dream, which is to bring the blessing of Abraham to the nation of Ireland. He said, I will live and die for your dream. Will you live and die for my vision? Because in my generation, it looked different than it did in your generation. Do you understand that? So the dream's the same. We're all living for the same mission, the same dream. It's the same dream. It's, it's not, it hasn't changed. It's not anything highfalutin. It's nothing. It's very simple, actually. It's this incredible sense that God has put a body of people here to do what? To be a light to this nation. That's the dream. That is the dream. It never changes. But what it looks like in your generation will change. So I, I say, Owen, you know something? As regard Priscilla and I, you know, we, we say, listen, the dream never changes, but we will we'll support you in your vision, whatever that looks like. It'll look different in every generation, and you get the freedom to do that. God's not, con- no, God's not that concerned with what the, dream, what, what the vision looks like. It's the outworking of it as we go on ahead. But there's something very powerful about that. God wants people who will both live for the dream and support the vision of that particular context in which God has placed them. And so today, I, I'm, I'm not going to do it, apply it individually, but corporately, could we all stand as we, Becky, do you, do you do it? Can you close?